If you're in the room with me, would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13? We're going to look at two parables this morning. Parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl. Verses 44 to 46. Jesus said, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. William Borden, known as Bill Borden, was born into extraordinary wealth. For his high school graduation present, his father gave him a trip around the world. And on this trip, Borden grew an irrevocable burden for the lost, especially those in China. And he wrote home that he desired to be a missionary instead. One friend commented that he would throw himself away as a missionary. Bill's response was to write two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. He continued his education at Yale University. One of his classmates wrote of him. He came to college far ahead spiritually than any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ. And he had really done it. Bill wrote something in his journal that defined what his classmates were observing. The entry said, Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. And during his time at Yale, Bill started prayer groups and Bible studies at the end of his freshman year. About 150 freshmen were meeting weekly in these groups. At the end of his senior year, 1,300 students met weekly in these studies and groups. Bill Borden himself leading hundreds of them to Christ through his evangelism. Bill's outreach was not confined to the Yale campus. He cared about widows and orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven. To try to rehabilitate them, he founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, and he was seeking to lead men to Christ. When he graduated from Yale, he turned down several high-paying job offers, including his father's business and estate, and he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No retreats. After completing seminary at Princeton, he sailed for China. On the way, he stopped in Egypt to study Arabic because he had a special desire to reach Chinese Muslims for Christ. Unfortunately, in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died just a month later. 
When the news of Borden's death reached home, one American newspaper wrote this. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but he gave away himself in a way so joyous and natural. It seemed to him a privilege rather than a sacrifice. After retrieving his personal belongings, his family noticed two more words written in the back of his Bible. Underneath no reserves and underneath no retreats were these two words, no regrets. Let me ask you, did Borden waste his life? Many in this world would say he did. He forsook wealth, extraordinary wealth, position, influence, power, all that the world had to offer to give himself for souls. With no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. William Borden's life exemplifies what these two parables teach us. Shows us what it looks like in action. Let me summarize the message. Christians live sold out for Christ and His kingdom. Let me say that again. Christians live sold out for Christ and His kingdom. He is, that is Jesus, the greatest treasure, and we would joyfully give up everything else that competes with Him. That is the message of these two parables. I have a question for you today as, before we get into the parables. If you could zoom out on your life, and you can could even hold your life in both of your hands. All, all of your thoughts, all of your endeavors, all your activities, all the words that you speak, the people you see every week, your families, your jobs, your whole life, if you could hold it in your hands, could you say with sincerity, honestly, that you count all of that as loss? For the sake of knowing Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. Could you count all of that as rubbish. Compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Can you? Paul could. The Apostle Paul said those words. He was looking at his life. Everything he had done and earned up to the point. And says... It's nothing compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That is the essence of these two parables. The immeasurable value of Christ and His kingdom. Christians live sold out for it. Three words that I just want to take you through in outline. The first word is value. Do you value Christ and His kingdom? See, Jesus compares the kingdom in these two parables to a treasure hidden in a field, verse 44, and a pearl of great value in verse 46. Now, a treasure buried in a field, that was common practice in Israel. No banks, no uh, bulletproof safes, okay? They were hiding their valuables in the ground. In the second parable, the merchant 
who is a professional, he is savvy in fine pearls, he finds one of great value. That phrase, great value, is one compound word in the Greek. Polytimos. Poly, which means many, much, or greater. And time, which means honor, or value, or price. This same phrase was used in 1 Peter 1.7. The tested sincerity of your faith is more precious, of greater value than gold. See, Peter just said that your sincerity of faith is more valuable than the highest traded element on earth. In other words, it's priceless. There's no comparable monetary value. And so the one who inherits the kingdom of God, the one who knows Christ, first recognizes him as a treasure, as valuable, valuable. More precious than anything else. Both of these men see the value of their prize. But it's interesting to notice how they found it in different ways. In the first parable, the man stumbles upon the treasure. Stubs his toe on it in a sense. And that's how he finds it. He wasn't necessarily looking for it. But the man in the second parable is searching For treasure. He's searching for pearls. Now both of these men find it. It says that they both found the treasure. But they came about it in different ways. And I think this describes helpfully the variety of experiences that people have coming to Jesus. Okay, Many of us in this room, we stumbled upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We weren't necessarily looking for it. We were happy living our lives for ourselves. And then we stubbed our toe, in a sense. Somebody intercepted us. Somebody came in, whether it was a a word on the radio, a gospel message, or it was a person in your life who loves you and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And when they shared that message, when they shared about Jesus, all of a sudden you saw the value. Hit you like a lightning bolt. Now others might spend a lifetime searching for meaning, searching for value, searching for some kind of spiritual experience. You've you've tested other religions, you've tested philosophies, you've tested relationships, but none of them have really satisfied. You might be someone like Philip or Andrew or the Ethiopian eunuch who are, you're searching the scriptures for something, for meaning. Ah, and then you come across Christ, the Messiah, the answer to your problems, and you found Jesus, finally. Of course, we understand with our soteriology that as you're searching and seeking for Christ, it is actually God who's pulling you along, drawing you to himself. But of course, people search and seek. And finally, they find Jesus. Because obviously, God would lead them to himself. I wonder what your experience was like. Do you recall, if you're a Christian, how you found the gospel of Jesus Christ? How you came across the great treasure? Well, regardless of how you came to find him, the result is the same. You saw his value. You saw him as a treasure, as a priceless pearl of great value. I want to stop here and talk about what we value 
what we deem as important. I think there's three aspects to our value system. What it means to value something. First, you value it intellectually. Second, you value it affectionately. And third, you value it volitionally. I want to explain those things. But it starts with the mind, the intellect. Christianity is not a mindless religion. You must understand first why Jesus Christ is valuable. You have to know why. It engages your mind. You need to see objectively that Jesus Christ is the most precious and the most valuable. In order for you to see His value, you need to start with your need. See, the standard that God has for man is holiness. It is perfection. Jesus Christ said, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So no one will see God unless they have been made holy, unless they are righteous, perfect. Now, you need to immediately realize that none of us in this room are such people. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. In fact, we fall desperately short of God's standard. It's like we're not even shooting for that target, but we're shooting in the opposite direction. Each of us has gone our own way in our own sins. We're all corrupted by the curse of sin. Our thoughts have been corrupted. Our words have been corrupted. Our actions have been corrupted. Sure, you may not have murdered anybody. Sure, you may not have committed physical adultery with a person who's not your spouse. But haven't we all lusted after someone who isn't ours? Haven't we all coveted something that we can't have? Haven't we all been angry with somebody who didn't meet our expectations? We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. So there first, sinner, recognize your need. You need a Savior outside of yourself. You need righteousness that you cannot conjure up on your own. An alien righteousness, as the theologians talk talk about it. So then in steps Jesus Christ. Here is the treasure from heaven. Here is the priceless pearl. The God-man, Jesus Christ, truly God, stepped down from heaven and he became a man. And he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He earned every bit of that righteousness that you need to enter heaven. He was perfect through testing and through tribulation and through incredible persecution and trial. He was an innocent lamb led to the slaughter. And he was led to a slaughter. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and he suffered death. Death on a cross. And when you think about the cross, you think about the excruciating torture of this death penalty in the first century. Extremely painful physically, but you haven't even touched the surface of the iceberg. You haven't even touched the tip of it if you don't consider that on that cross he suffered spiritually. He suffered under the wrath of God for your sins. Your sins, not the ones he committed. Your penalty, not his Your punishment He took upon Himself as your substitute. And then that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death, victorious over an enemy that you and I could not defeat in our own effort. And in a great exchange for those who believe in Him, He gives you His righteous robe, perfect, and He takes your sinful life upon Himself and He pays the punishment in full. 
Therefore, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the door you must enter, the person you must believe to enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't sit there objectively and tell me there's anything on earth more valuable than what Christ offers you eternally through his redemptive work. And it doesn't even stop there. Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming back. He's coming back, solving at this moment through his redemptive work all our spiritual problems, our great spiritual need. He dealt with sin on the cross, but he's dealing with the whole restoration of the earth when he comes back. He's going to rule in righteousness. What's the solution to the conflict in Israel? I'll tell you, it's not us. It's him. When he comes back and he establishes his rule of righteousness, his kingdom of peace, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is coming back. And He will make all wrongs right when He does. Do you understand? Do you understand that through your reasoning and intellect that Christ is more precious and valuable than anything or anyone this earth can offer? Any position of power, any possession that you can have, any earthly pleasure, they all fall. At the feet of King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He is the great treasure. And if you find him, you found something of more value than anything this world can offer. Objectively. In fact, Peter says this. No one is greater. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you understand The value of Jesus Christ today. Do you understand his value intellectually? Can you explain it? I'm sure a lot of you in this room do. What I told you isn't new news. You've heard it before. But valuing Christ and his kingdoms, his kingdom, sorry, is just, intellectually, it's just the start of it. Value is not only determined in your mind, but it is determined in your heart. You must value Christ affectionately. You must want Him. Matthew, or Jesus writes, Jesus writes, Jesus said earlier in Matthew, we, we already came across this passage. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not only your mind, but your heart, your desires. God promises His people in the new covenant a new heart with new affections and new desires. We're not computers. We don't just make decisions based on rational assessments in our mind. The decisions we make every day are motivated by what we want, what we desire with our hearts. I'll give you a case in point. Exercise. Exercise. I'm confident every person in this room would acknowledge, at least intellectually, that exercise is healthy for your body. Would you not? Exercise is a good thing. Now here's the sad reality. Not all of us exercise. Why? Simple answer, we don't all want to. Intellectually, we agree Yes, exercise is good for our body, but the reality is, when push comes to shove, we don't want to. So, do you really value exercise? 
Do you really see it as important or recognize its importance? Unfortunately, there's the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I found this, in, especially in youth ministry for eight years, this is prevalent among church kids especially. They intellectually know the truth. They can give you the right answer. Many of you could give me the gospel truth. You understand why Jesus Christ is important. But the reality is that many walk away because they simply don't want Him. Their heart is dead and their affections are still enslaved to the world. Here's a biblical illustration. The rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. You've heard this story. This man thought he was good enough to please God and to enter heaven. He had kept the law. Jesus looked right into his heart and he said, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. See, he had an idol that he was worshiping in his heart. Jesus saw it and said, sell it. Sell those earthly treasures and you can have the heavenly treasure. Now listen to me. The rich young ruler did not walk away because he misunderstood Jesus' call. He understood it. But why did he walk away sad? Because he, in his evaluation of the treasures, heavenly treasure, his earthly monies, he didn't want the heavenly treasure. He wanted his earthly monies. That's why he walked away. His heart had not been changed, transformed. Intellectually, he could get there, but affectionately, he didn't want Christ. And that, of course, leads to the third, the third um, way that our values are determined. They're determined intellectually in our mind, affectionately by our hearts, and volitionally. Volitionally means that it compels the will to move, to act. It's been said that one can assess what you value or what's important to you by where you spend your time and you spend your money. That's helpful. I would also include that it's what you think about and what you talk about. Those are the things that you think are important. Again, to use the exercise analogy. One can intellectually assess the value of exercise. They could even want to exercise maybe and to see the benefits of exercise in their life. But when the rubber meets the road, they don't actually exercise. Because their will hasn't been moved to act, to implement the discipline. And so really, they can't say that they value it yet until they're doing it. Some say they love Jesus Christ. They express a passionate desire to give Him their life. But as Thomas Watson writes, these people are not industrious in the use of means to obtain Him. He continues, The one who prizes gold, he digs for it. The one who prizes health, takes medicine and visits the doctor. But he who prizes Christ will never rest until he gains Him. It will move the person to act. I remember an old friend who became instantly rich. Terrible car accident. I mentioned him before. Terrible car accident. Knocked him into a coma. Essentially, they won the lawsuit while he was in the coma. He woke up from a coma with millions of dollars in his bank account. Instantly rich. And he just started spending it. 
And I knew this man. I, I remember evangelizing him, sharing the gospel with him. And we're in his brand new Corvette Z06, paid, off, paid for by cash. And I remember sharing the gospel with him, pleading with him to repent from his lifestyle, you know, telling him, hey, perhaps God has given you a second chance at life, not so that you would waste it away, but so that you would know him and live for him with your life. And I remember him just telling me, Morgan, I just don't want to. I'm happy living my life the way I want to live it. It was so sad. It's heartbreaking. When push comes to shove, they can understand it. They could say they want more meaning in life or they want whatever Christ could give them, but they're unwilling to surrender. They're unwilling to truly value Christ. They don't really value Him. So if you could, hold all your thoughts, all your passions, all your aspirations in life, your activities, your your words, your deeds. Do you recognize the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ? compared to these things? Do you truly value Him more than all else? Is Christ really your life? Your ultimate joy? Your greatest delight? The treasure in the field? The pearl of great price? Do you value Christ? If you do, you're going to be compelled to sell. Which is the second point. Sell. Even though these two men, they found the treasures differently, their response was the same. They recognized its value and they both sold everything. Look at verse 44. When the man came across the treasure that he found, he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. The merchant in verse 46, upon finding the pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had. Sold out. Everything. They sold all monies or all investments that would compete with the prize that they found. They sold it all. And I think that this would call us, as this physical illustration, to call us to recognize what must be sold in our life that competes with Christ in His kingdom? What are the competitors in our lives that we must sell? We must get rid of it all. Maybe not physically, but at least spiritually sell out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, first, you need to sell all self-righteous efforts. You need to sell your good works, so to speak. That is the idea that you're good enough to earn heaven or that You need to sell the idea that you can make it on your own. That you're good enough. You've been in enough, hopefully you've been in enough Protestant evangelical church services to know that your good works can't earn you heaven. And yet how many people identify as Christians, you ask them, how are you going to make it in heaven? They say, well, I'm a good person. You've got to sell that idea. You've got to get rid of it. It does not work. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? Didn't we go to church on Sunday? Didn't we read our Bibles? Didn't we pray here and there? And he's going to say, I never knew you. 
Romans 3.20 is clear. By the works of the law, by your, by your self-righteous efforts, no human being will be justified in his sight. It's not good enough to be an incredibly good person. Only Christ is truly righteous. You can't make it on your own. You need to abandon, sell that idea that you're good enough. Or that you can make it by your self-righteous efforts. Only Christ and His perfect work of redemption can earn you salvation. Those are the works that count. His works. So you need to sell self-righteous efforts. The second thing you must sell is you must sell your sin. In order to inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus said, repent. The apostles say, repent. Repentance means turning from sin. You must sell your sin. You must sell that sinful pleasure that you delight in, that competes with your delight for Christ. Thomas Watson writes this, He who prizes Christ will pull out the lust in his eye. He will part ways with his pride and sinful passions. He will set his foot on the neck of his sins and kill them. You must repent. You must turn away, sell your sin. For the sake of Christ. Of knowing Him. The third thing you need to sell. Is you need to sell your earthly securities. Your earthly securities. Those comforts. Those even sometimes freedoms. That you enjoy. Or you take advantage of. Take for granted. Sorry. Jesus told the man who wanted to follow Him. He said I have nowhere to lay my head. No pillow. No roof. This man would have to abandon the security of a, of a home, of an estate to fall back on, the comforts that one might enjoy in first century Palestine. And goodness, do we have so many more securities offered to us in the United States of America in the 21st century. So many comforts. Well, what you'll find is those comforts, those earthly securities eventually fall apart. They don't have lasting or eternal value. And they fall short. They disappoint you need to, in order to find rest for your soul in Christ, you need to stop resting in something or someone else. You need to sell those earthly securities that your soul finds temporary relief in. Fourthly, you need to sell your silver, your monies. Judas placed a monetary value on the head of Christ. How much was Jesus worth in the mind of Christ? 30 pieces of silver. And he betrayed him. We must be willing to sell all silver, not compare Christ to any monetary value. He is greater than, surpassing value than gold. It's not that silver or money in itself is evil. It could be the root of evil. It's not wrong to be wealthy, but your silver can never compete with your value of Christ. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. Some of us, the reality is, is we should not be rich because our hearts would be so easily divided. Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. But he couldn't do it. Why? Because he couldn't give up his earthly wealth. He forsook the treasure of heaven for the money of earth. Don't make the same mistake. 
Christ is of far surpassing value than your money. So sell your silver. Surrender your money. Give generously. Give it all away if you have to. If it's an idol in your life. Because silver cannot compete with Jesus Christ. Finally, fifthly, what you must sell. You must sell your statues. That is, your idols. It sounds kind of ridiculous to suggest that you worship your sports teams. But I can almost guarantee you that if somebody from the first century were to walk into your house, they would ask, who is the God of Dodgers? (laughs) Who is this God and how do you worship Him? It's true. Again, sports, enjoying a ball game, not necessarily evil or, or wrong to enjoy those things, but they can't compete. They can't compete. When it comes to Christ and His kingdom, those memorabilia pieces, they go to flash sale. They're of far less value than their surpassing value of knowing Christ. And so what do you need to sell, friend? What must you sell? Maybe for some of you who don't know Christ, what are you holding on to? What's preventing you from full surrender? Coming to Jesus Christ with the fullness of faith. Your heart is being held back by something. You're you're perhaps like my toddler. When I'm telling my toddler, you need to share. He's holding, clenching his fist around this little toy. You need to share, Andrew. Sharing is kind. Sharing is putting others before yourself. I reach down to pull that toy out. He's crying in my face. I share, I share, but he's holding on tighter and tighter and tighter. Some of us are that way. Come to church on Sunday. Jesus, you're my treasure. I love you more than anything else. I worship you. I praise you before all. All the while, the Lord's looking down at your heart, and your heart is clenched around that idol. And you're holding it tighter and tighter and tighter. You won't give it up. What do you need to sell? What do you need to sell? I'll tell you, Christian, too, the Christian life is a life of constant repentance and selling. You're constantly getting rid of those encumbrances and those sins in your life that are holding you back in the race of faith for Christ. You need to constantly remind yourself, Christian, who is your greatest treasure? Who is your greatest delight? Oh, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember that moment when I was ready to sell it all and I fully embraced Christ by faith and He was the greatest joy, the greatest delight. Well, recall that moment. Remember why He is your greatest treasure and your greatest delight and then remember to sell all competitors consistently repenting of the sin in your life and removing those encumbrances that are hindering that race of faith. Sell, sell, sell. But once you sell, again, the Christian life even is not just a bunch of put-offs, there are put-ons. You sell all competing investments in order to acquire the prize. The third point is buy. Buy, buy, buy. And there's only one object in your mind. One prize to invest your whole life into. That's Jesus Christ in His kingdom. In these parables, both men use the money from their sale to acquire the treasure or the pearl. The first man, he buys the field. The second man, he buys that one pearl. Remember these parables, they're earthly stories with spiritual significance. So we need to ask, what does this physical transaction signify spiritually? 
Now, of course, we need to put the brakes here and say, just out loud, we cannot buy salvation with money. You can't. Don't let any other prosperity preacher tell you otherwise. You can't buy the kingdom of heaven by sowing your seed, which is give me more money. That's not how you enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't buy it with money. That's why we read Isaiah 55.1. Do you remember what it said? Jesus, or God invites you, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Can't buy salvation with money. And if we already said we cannot buy or earn salvation by our works, by our efforts. Ephesians 2 is very clear. Salvation is a gift from God. It is received by faith, not of works, so that no man may boast. You don't come to Christ with something to offer Him back in exchange for salvation. It is a free gift. All grace. All grace. We simply embrace Him by faith. You know, faith is a gift too. Faith is not something you conjure up within yourself. Faith is a gift from God. It is the gift to receive His gift. This faith, this gift of faith that God places in the heart of a believer changes his heart or her heart so that he or she intellectually understands the gospel, so that he or she affectionately wants Christ and that he or she moves to grasp him. It's a faith that works, not a works-earned faith. This is what I understand the physical transaction of buying be, being compared to, is the aspect of faith that is full embrace or full investment. That's what it is. Complete investment in Christ, in the treasure. Complete dependence, complete trust, an embrace of Christ by faith. We see that neither the man in the field nor the merchant, they were not holding any of their other previous monies when they bought their prize. They invested it all into the prize. Similarly, faith received as a gift of grace, it is an all of life invested in Jesus Christ and His kingdom. It is producing a person who sold out for Christ. So the question is, are you invested? Are you invested? Are you sold out? Is he your everything, your greatest prize, your great treasure? So at the end of it all, at the end of your life, you could say with great joy and thrill, all I have is Christ. All I have is him. He is my greatest delight. Listen to the Apostle Paul write about his prize and his delight in life. Philippians 3, 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone think you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the prize Jesus Christ before your eyes? Is He the great goal, the aspiration of your life? To see Him, to become more like Him. How about the author of Hebrews? I alluded to this passage. Are you running after Christ? Nothing holding you back. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the key. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I believe that this valuation of Christ, this wholehearted pursuit of Him is not just a one and done thing. In other words, it didn't just happen when you came to faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I became a Christian, I sold all my all the you know, competitors, and I embraced Christ by faith, and now I just cruise control. No, the author and perfecter of your faith. You're looking to Jesus through it all, constantly reminding your soul and having your heart drawn by this prize and consistently <laughs> ridding yourself of sin, those encumbrances, those distractions, all competitors, to have Him. To have Him. A Christian... Is sold out for Christ and his kingdom. Christian, I want you, if anything, just to remember your priceless treasure in Christ. Remember who he is and what he did for you. Sell all competitors. Lay aside those weights and those sins that are holding you back from a pure and devoted pursuit of him. Repent of those sins and keep your eyes locked on that prize. Remember the value in the Lord Jesus. And look forward to his return when he establishes his kingdom. And you enter into the joy of your master. Let those motivations draw you to a more holy life, more dependent on Christ. Now some of you maybe, as you're hearing this sermon... Maybe you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I was praying for that this morning. I was praying that these parables would shake some of you up and that God would work through His Word and convict some of you because when you're honest and you're evaluating your life, you, I hope you've recognized, some of you, that you do not value Christ. That He isn't your treasure. And that you've been living your life sold out to the earthly treasures of the world. If that's you, can I just call you today? Today being the day of salvation, surrender to Christ. Sell all of those earthly competitors. They are far less valuable than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as Lord and Him being your Savior. Sell it all. Sell it all and embrace Christ by faith, trusting that He and He alone can save you from yourself, that He and He alone can save you from sin, that He and He alone can save you from hell, that He and He alone is the greatest treasure, the priceless pearl 
surpassing value. I hope that you would see Christ today. You'd see the man of Calvary, bloody, bruised, with a crown of thorns on his head, dying the death you deserve, your substitute, your atoning Savior, and that you would see the man of the kingdom who has a crown of righteousness on his head, who's coming back to rule and to reign, to make all wrongs right. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Would you see him today and embrace him by faith? Sell and buy. Sell and buy. Is it worth it? Yes, it is. On October 28th, which is coming up, the anniversary of this date, but in the year 1949, Jim Elliott, missionary to the Awuka tribe in Ecuador, given his life, given away all, essentially, promise of living in the safe and comfortable United States of America to live amongst this tribe in Ecuador with his life being threatened because they were notoriously violent. Jim Elliott penned these words in his journal before he was martyred for his evangelism. He wrote this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Are you ready to give away that which you cannot keep, the earthly pleasures, to gain, to buy, to embrace by faith Jesus Christ, who you cannot lose for eternity? Would you make that exchange today by faith? I'm praying that you would. And if you desire to do that, or you want to understand more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, or you just feel that conviction and want to talk to somebody, please come talk to me. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here as elders. You can come talk to the elders. Please come talk to me. And I would love to speak with you about that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, our soul sometimes just needs to be stirred up by way of reminder. That's why... In the New Testament, we have so many good reminders of what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ is the priceless pearl. He is the greatest treasure from heaven. Nothing of this earth can compete with Him. The great Savior who showed us great love, great grace and mercy in His sacrifice. And who is the great King, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who will conquer reign. He is the mighty King who's coming back. There's nobody, nothing more precious than Him. So Lord, thank You for these, even this parable and these sermons that remind us to be stirred up by our prize. To love Him more than all else. And to rid ourselves of competitors that might distract or slow us down in our pursuit of Christ. And I, I pray for that individual here today who, have may, who may be counting the cost, who may feel the conviction of the Spirit through the Word, and they are seeing the treasure of Christ, and they're ready to abandon and to sell all earthly treasures for Him. I pray that they would do that today, that you would cause them to respond, that you would give them faith to trust in Christ today, and to be transformed and changed. In Jesus' name, amen.